Welcome to Australian Hiker, your online hiking resource. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 120 of the Australian Hiker podcast. And in this week's episode, we're going to look at choosing a campsite. Now, I've been hiking and camping for many, many years. Uh, and in most cases, my memories are positive ones that consisted of um, some amazing scenery and some shared experiences with friends and family. On the other end of the scale, I also have some negative experiences. And probably um, the most common ones tend to be associated with uh, uh choosing bad campsites. In this week's episode, we're going to discuss how to choose a site to pitch your tent, including what to avoid to make your night's sleep safe, comfortable and enjoyable. We hope you enjoy. So the first thing we're going to do is look at uh, the need to book ahead. And and this is one of the things that I think um, surprises us um, quite a bit when we are out hiking um, and particularly when, uh, y- you know, there are arrangements that are in place for booking um, campsites on websites through uh, national parks and various other um, facilities and you can tell how many people are going to be there on the night and you've booked and you know that no one else is going to be there and five other tents turn up which probably tells you that they didn't book. Um, but there are lots of really good reasons why that's important. Um, maintaining the campsite is a good um, a, a good reason to book. The rangers know exactly who's going to be there and what facilities uh, are going to be needed and what pressure might be put on the facilities. Um, and the other one is to make sure that the uh, environment, the campsite and the surrounding environment doesn't get overcamped. Yeah, I think um, from uh, from our perspective, um, one of the, the sites that we use, particularly in relation to our local area, is the northern campground on the, uh, just, just on the northern ACT border, uh, which houses Canberra. Uh, and as Jill said, it's not unusual for people to turn up there and you think, why are there people here when the the online system said there was going to be nobody else? So, you know, it really, for for me, it's a $6 camping fee. It's not a big, big fee. It pays for someone to come out and clean the toilets and to put new toilet paper in there uh, and to make sure everything's right with a campground. So Yeah, I do wonder whether or not people realise um, the need to book. Um, and sometimes there's a need to book, but there's no fee. Um, so I think people probably figure what's the point with all of that. But really it's about managing load, I think. And certainly on longer distance trails, things like the Overland Track in Tasmania is an example. Um, there is a fee to book to pay for the trip, which covers basically your your camping as part of that. And one of the reasons they actually put that in place, or the, the final reason they put that in place, we talked to the hut warden who was down there uh, when we did our trip, and they said they had 200 people turn up to the first campsite uh, <laughs> on one night, and this is a, a shelter that can sleep 24 people at a squeeze, uh, and the surrounding area 
just physically wouldn't be able to cope with that many people and the area would have ended up being trashed. So it's to help maintain the area and to provide good facilities and an enjoyable hike for people, not really as a, as a money spinner as such. Now, the next consideration is the trail rules. So, you know, we talked about whether you need to book ahead. But as an example, in Australia, at least, and, and certainly in a lot of overseas country, there are various rules on where you can and can't camp. It's just a matter of days before we start our hike on the human hovel track, which is a 19-day uh, hike. Uh, and there are 17 campsites on that, that hike that have been provided. But you are actually allowed to camp in between those campsites, uh, providing you're not on, on private land. And there are a couple of areas where you're not allowed to camp. But in most cases, if you choose to camp in between those campsites, you're fine. On the other hand, I did the Bibbulmun track last year, uh, and the regulations for national parks prohibit camping away from dedicated campsites. Now, I think from my perspective, if you get caught out, if you're injured, if something happens, sure, go ahead and camp. But it's best not to plow through and plan on camping in between those sites um, because um, potentially you, you run the risk of, of damaging the, the, the bush and the track itself if people put up too many tents in the wrong spot. And I think we've all had um, experiences where we've been hiking along and, you know, we've, we've seen some campsites that are just, you know, not either, not, not left in the right condition, not, uh, they've been established in wrong places and, you, you know, they are struggling to recover, um, because of the impact of, uh, the hikers that have been there. So do your research and plan before you do your trip. So know what you are and aren't allowed to do on the, your chosen hike. So the next thing we need to look at is the distances you're going to travel between campsites. Sometimes this is dictated by those places where you do need to camp. Um, so you need to understand where those sites are and what you're able to do in and around those uh, particular campsites. So, you know, if you're wanting to do, uh, say, 15 kilometres a day, um, but the distances don't quite work out, then you need to rethink your planning and you need to be um, making sure that you've got places to, to stop that are appropriate and that are going to be reasonable places for you to set up your tent. If there are a couple of sites um, in the middle of a trek that you must use, uh, we've talked about the need to follow the guidance uh, that's provided by the national parks and the rangers. So if there are any sites that you need to camp at, then you need to organise your other campsites around those campsites. I mean, in 2016, we did the Larapenta Trail in the Australian Northern Territory, and we'd identified two particular locations where we actually wanted to camp. Uh, and that really did set the timings between uh, where we were going to hike uh, and, 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 and impacted on the rest of the trip. Now, a good example here is the photo that is our main photo on our uh, webpage uh, is actually from one of those sites, and we knew that we would have a very good photo opportunity uh, in this location. And to get there, we needed to do a slightly longer day. We actually walked through um, uh, a campsite that, that uh, 
people often uh, camp at and went on to the next point, um, which was not necessarily a dedicated campsite, but somewhere we were still able to camp. This is by no means a hard and fast rule, but everything is easier during the daytime. Uh, As much camping as I've done, my preference is still to arrive at my destination for the day while it's still light, set up my tent, get my sleeping bag sorted out, all my gear put away, ready to go to bed at night time and have dinner, uh, providing it's not two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, So when it does go dark, um, basically I'm in bed. And certainly if I'm solo hiking, uh, it's not unusual um, if it's in the Uh, the the early spring or the cooler months of the year, there's a good chance I'll be in bed uh, uh, going to sleep at 6.30 at night. Um, If I'm hiking with others or hiking with Jill, a different sort of situation, we might stay up, ooh, an extra half an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it's, it's much easier to put stuff together when it's nice and light. Once you gain a bit of familiarity with your gear and you know where everything is and where everything goes, uh, it's much easier setting up when it's pitch black. Um, but the last time I did this was in Easter this year. And again, even though I was very familiar with my tent and my equipment, um, you know, putting up a tent in pitch black, which is what I end up doing, isn't my preference. I think it, the other thing is that it also, you know, presumably you've, you've, you started reasonably early in the morning, um, it makes for a very long day. And, I, you know, one of the things that um, we sometimes need to remember is this is supposed to be fun. We're supposed to be enjoying ourselves. So, you know, um, having, having that opportunity at the end of the day to reflect, to check out the sunset while, you know, you're, you're doing your dinner and so on is, is a nice thing. The next thing to consider is the need to look up and this is essentially checking out uh, for tree overhangs, uh, not just dead branches but, you know, it's it's not wise to pitch a tent under um, big trees, uh, whether or not there's a wind at the moment that you pitch a tent, the wind can come up and if you're under branches, um, even, you know, relatively sturdy branches, if there's a big wind, they could easily blow and they could easily fall on you. So, you know, there's always the preference to pitch a tent in a more open space um, away from trees, um, but you also want to have a bit of shelter as well. So that's kind of the challenge I guess you have. Um, but definitely look out for overhangs, uh, definitely not under um, dead branches. Um, we had a, a moment camping a few years ago where uh, we were in a reasonably good spot, um, relatively clear. We were near trees. Uh, The wind came up and all night we just kept hearing cracking branches and, uh, you know, tree fall. And it was a pretty scary uh, time. Uh, You know, uh, I think we were well away from those particular trees and branches, uh, but it sounded as if they were almost right next to the tent. It was a pretty pretty fearsome time. 
apart from tree branches as well, things like um, northern New South Wales into southern Queensland, you get the big bunya pines, and they've got seed cones that weigh 10 to 15 pounds comfortably. You know, having one of those fall on your tent during the middle of the night time is not going to be a very pleasant sort of experience. So, you know, it, it's not just branches. It's what else can fall out of the trees. In addition to looking up now, from a negative perspective, there's also things that can sort of make or create a bit of bit of um, uh, a good environment for you. So where's the direction of sunset and sunrise? We've done hikes in the past uh, where we've woken up, um, because we've been in the shade of a valley, uh, it's been dark, not dark, but and there's been no direct sunlight on the tent until uh, after we actually left for the day. And you end up with a wet, soggy sort of tent that you've got to try and dry out during the daytime. Yeah, it's a bit hard to convince yourself to get up out of that warm sleeping bag too when you know, it's like that. Um, it's much better when the sun's shining on your tent um, and you've got a little bit of an inducement to to get up and out. And, and this was an example we actually had uh, uh, on our hike in earlier this year when we did the main range walk. Um, uh, in hindsight, once we've now done it, and if we did it again, we would have camped over the other side of the valley. It was a better campsite, would have made for a better walk for the day, or for the morning at least, uh, and it would have means by the time we got back to our tent, it would have been dry uh, because it would have been in, in sun for a number of hours, and the sun would have woken us, woken us up uh, and prompted us to get up. Hindsight's a great thing, isn't it? It is. <laughs> the opposite also applies, look down. Uh, and this consideration covers a multitude of sins. Are you about to put your tent on top of an animal hole? Uh, or for that matter, a spider hole? I was talking to a hiker last year who did the Australian Alps walking track uh, and somehow managed to put uh, her tent on top of a female um, funnel web spider who wasn't very happy about having the tent put on top of uh, her hole. Uh, and uh, this hiker said she couldn't work out what was going on. There's this movement at the bottom of the tent as this spider was trying to get out and, and wasn't very happy about the process. Um, so look about look at where you're going to put your tent. Make sure you don't cover anyone's home up. Is the ground fairly flat? Uh, and this is probably the big one for most hikers. There's a fine line between flat and slope. Um, you know, if it's any more than a few degrees uh, incline, um, it can impact on having a comfortable night's sleep. So a very very fine slope is uh, is okay. Um, and if there is any sort of slope, go through and put your head at the highest point. Don't have the slope across the tent. Uh, what tends to happen, particularly if there's two people or more in the tent, you'll end up sliding down to one side of the tent. Um, so, so it's better to have this, uh, the slope along the length of the tent. It's better to have your head up on the uphill side because if you have the uh, head, your head down at the lowest point, it, it tends to give you, or give, at least it gives me a headache. So um, there's always a particular way to set up a tent that's going to keep you comfortable. The other consideration with this is what's going to happen if it rains? Uh, would your chosen site fill up with water? Uh, and I actually was camping with Jill um, a few years ago, and in all honesty, it was in my sister's backyard. Uh, the house was full, so we were tenting it. And we put the tent in a location that was close and convenient to the house. 
didn't pay attention to what the weather was doing and there was a bit of a divot in front of the tent. So we go, woke up in the middle of the night and there was this, while there was no water in the tent, there was a big pool of water just where we were getting out, which made it very awkward getting in and out of the tent over the night time. So the next thing to think about, uh, talking about water, is camping near water. And um, there are a bunch of things to consider here. Uh, you need to make sure that you're at least 60 metres away from a water source in some places. Uh, the guidance is to camp further away from a water source. So you need to be aware of what the rules are for that particular area that you're in. Um, you also need to, you know, think about What's going to happen to that water source um, if uh, there is a lot of rain, for example? We've just talked about that. Um, and, you know, it might even be near a beach. So uh, funnily enough, the tide does come in. <laughs> so <laughs> be wary of the tide coming in. And sometimes, you know, people forget that, you know, this great flat piece of uh, this site uh, on a beach, which is nice and flat and nice and packed in, uh, there's probably a reason why it's packed in, and that's because the water was there at some point in time. So it might come back. Um, the other thing that we find, particularly in uh, Australia and in Central Australia, is people like uh, camping in riverbeds, and it's a much softer uh, part of many tracks. Uh, to camp in a ri riverbed, uh, but when there's rain in the distance, that river can fill up pretty quickly and you don't always know uh, that it's happening um, and it can be quite dangerous. So something to really be mindful of, it doesn't necessarily have to be raining where you are um, for there to be a flash flood. Choose a site that's durable. Uh, and now durable is one of those funny sort of terms. But in regard to setting up a tent, durability means it's something that's not going to destroy the natural environment. Think about having one or two people in a what what amounts to a piece of plastic and you're sleeping inside this, pressing down on the on the ground that's below you. Um, particularly with the alpine environments, and this is worldwide, alpine environments tend to be very sensitive uh, and they don't take a lot of wear. They, they tend to be very slow growing. Uh, so try and choose a site that people have used in the past, um, but look at, if you don't have a choice, look at where you are going to set up your tent and making sure it's not going to be on top of a, a big patch of wildflowers or a, what looks like a fairly sensitive sort of area. And there's a saying that applies here, the best campsites are those that are found and not made. So the next thing we're going to talk about is sheltering from the wind. Um, now, this is a little bit of an interesting one, uh, having talked about uh, camping away from trees so that you don't end up with um, a branch falling on your tent in the middle of the night. Um, so it's a good idea to set up in an open area uh, away from vegetation. But the problem with that is that you can sometimes end up in a wind tunnel. Um, and so there's a, there's a tension there, a balance that you need to find between a sheltered spot um, and a spot that's sufficiently open that you won't get tree fall. Um, if you do need to camp in an area that is quite windy, then what you need to do is present the smallest part of the tent 
towards the wind, facing the wind. And so that will create, um, uh, so that will ensure that the wind is guided around the tent rather than uh, if you face the largest part of the tent towards the wind, then you'll end up with a lot of buffeting. Not always possible, and particularly when the wind is blowing from all different directions. Yeah, you, sometimes it can be, yeah. you know, where's the wind coming from? I don't know. <laughs> You've just got to choose the best uh, best direction or the best location you can. And then this creates a bit of tension that the best direction from a wind perspective set up the tent may not be the best direction as far as the slope's concerned. So, again, it's, it can end up being a bit of a compromise here of trying to get the best all-round site that's going to suit the most things. One thing I would say here is I tend to try and travel as lightweight as I possibly can. And with a lot of ultralight tents, they come with very small uh, tent pegs. Uh, and typically these tent pegs don't cope with strong winds. So if you know you're going to be going to an area where the winds are going to be strong, you're, you're, you're camping on an open grassy plain and you know the wind's going to come up, look at your tent peg selection, maybe change out your tent pegs for something that's a bit more robust that will hold onto the ground fairly well, uh, particularly in windy conditions. Yeah, I think that's that's important because it's about understanding the environment that you're going to be travelling through. And on windy conditions, you will typically use every guy rope on the tent, whereas you may not do that on a night that's nice and still. One comment I would make here is we, we've just mentioned the Larapinta Trail earlier on, and um, when we did do it, the first night we camped there, uh, we camped, we looked up, uh, we avoided the large dead branch that was hanging over <laughs> the, the middle of the campsite. In fact, the whole tree was dead, so there was no way we were going to camp underneath it. But we were camping on this really fine red dust um, and the wind came up in the middle of the night um, and it, it, it didn't really buffet the tent as such. But we woke up the next morning and the entire inside of the tent, including us, was covered in this fine red dust and it took weeks to get rid of this dust out of all the gear. Um, so in a hindsight for us, we would have gone and camped slightly further away, not in the dry riverbed, but certainly in the sandy area that was adjacent to it would have given us a better option on that night. And that was certainly a learning experience for us. Now, if you're camping in groups, uh, and this is something that Jill and I don't tend to do that often, we're either, I'm either hiking by myself or I'm camping with Jill. Group camping is pretty rare. Um, but if you are camping in groups, you want to provide a bit of distance without necessarily taking up the entire location. So, when I'm tired, I snore, uh, so I don't want to impact on other people's sleep. But having said that, I don't want to hear other people snoring either. <laughs> so, um, you know, being realistic, if someone's snoring loudly enough, probably 15 to 20 metres away is probably not an unrealistic sort of distance uh, to get a good night's sleep. Um, and I think, it, you know, it's good to have a bit of privacy Um I will often tend to get up very early in the morning. Again, when I'm solo hiking, it's not unusual for me to getting up when it's pitch black. Um, I'll normally time it so I just start walking when it's sunrise uh, or just after. It may mean that I'm getting up at five o'clock and starting to pack away my gear and have breakfast. Uh, and again, having a bit of distance allows me to do this without impacting on other people's experience. 
I think the other thing is for some reason, you know, when you're the only ones up early in the morning, any noise, the slightest noise that you make just seems to carry and, uh, you know, it seems to be five times louder than normal and you're sure that you're waking everybody else up. (laughs) There's this echo that goes on. Okay, so as a final word on this, when choosing a suitable site for your tent, nothing beats hard-earned experience. But if you're new to camping and hiking, um, it, it is a learning experience. And really what it comes down to is judgment. Have a look. Do your planning before you go. Have a look at the site when you get there and think, is this going to be a suitable site? Is this a site that uh, um, I I would like to camp in? It's not going to cause any problems with the environment. Um, and take a few minutes to look around. If you think, I'm really not sure, it's not looking good, maybe, maybe move on. Uh, and I've had camps where people have failed to bury, bury their toilet paper uh, and I thought, there is no way that I'm camping in this area. It really wasn't a pleasant area. Uh, it was late in the season for this particular trail. Uh, and we ended up hiking and moving on around about three or four kilometres uh, before we could find the next suitable campsite. But it was the best option at the time for the trail we were doing. Yeah, and we do tend to spend a bit of time, even when we've found the right spot, we do spend a bit of time uh, looking around and we probably look as if we're a bit, you know, uh, dazed and a bit disorganised. Um, but, you know, we're at the campsite. We just now need to find the square patch of ground where we're physically going to put the tent up and we will take a bit of time with that. And as a final comment on this, I'd say when you break camp in the morning and pack all your gear away, really you shouldn't be able to tell that there's ever been anyone there. You want to leave the campsite as pristine as you possibly can. Um, Maybe it's dry and the rest of the area is wet, but apart from that, that should be the only difference. And that means hopefully that someone else or everyone else will do the same thing for you so you'll turn up to a campsite and, and it's looking nice and pristine and it's an enjoyable experience for you as well. Okay, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, And again, it's pretty much um, Camping 101 for for newer hikers. Uh, And maybe a bit of a reminder for experienced hikers too. It is. And in all honesty, we still make mistakes from time to time. We still make bad choices occasionally. We we choose what we think is a good site and it ends up not being. Um, But again, it's the sort of thing that, uh, uh, you know, Use your best judgment, try and make the best choice you can, and that will increase the chance of having an enjoyable uh, and pleasant night's sleep. In next week's episode, we will have actually started our through hike on the human hovel track, uh, so 426 kilometres between Yass and Albury. Uh, and we're going to be podcasting uh, and blogging from the trail as we go. Um, our release of our podcasts may be a bit erratic <laughs> depending on when we can actually get data signal. I know there's good phone signal on the track, but getting enough signal to actually uh, get good internet signal to upload and download uh, audio files uh, is a slightly different beast. So we'll try and be as regular as we possibly can, and you'll get to hear firsthand uh, how our planned 19-day trip on one of Australia's lesser-known long-distance trails goes. So we hope you enjoy that experience. 
That's all from me. Bye for now. And bye from me.